Welcome back. I'm Rabbi Joseph Potasnik. And I'm Reverend A.R. Bernard. Reverend, we have someone who celebrated a birthday this past week, and it was celebrated throughout New York. People on both sides of the political aisle were uh, cheering her on, and I'm talking about Representative Nicole Meliotakis, 11th Congressional District, uh, who I've come to know and respect uh, during the time that I've been privileged to, to be with her. And what's taken, what very often has impressed me is uh, when it comes to September 11th, she comes down to the, uh, the memorial. She makes it a point of speaking with the families, going over, talking to families, listening to their pain, trying to bring some comfort to them. Uh, it's not about a photo op. Uh, it's about people to people. And that's something that's sorely needed uh, in today's contentious climate where we need people talking to people, not, you know, looking for anything else but to have a sane civil conversation. So what are you saying? We're, 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 we need to be humans? Uh, you know, I think God might be disappointed. When he, you know, looking back at the story of creation, I'm not sure this is what uh, God intended it to look like with people fighting with one another all the time. Anyway, welcome, Congresswoman Meliotakis. Good to have you with us. It's great to be with you. Thank you for having me again. Uh, absolutely. Always great to have you on the program. And, of course, Rabbi, I will brag and boast that she was at our church uh, with her mom and family. And we got to know the person, the yeah. human side of the politician, which is often missed isn't, in our current climate. Isn't it nice when kids are proud of their parents? It's, so, it's yeah. such a nice yeah. thing. I see it the other way around, but I want to see the kids proud of their parents. She certainly is. Congresswoman, you just voted on a uh, infrastructure bill. And there's been a lot of discussion about it. Talk about the bill, why you voted for it, what the reaction has been uh, to the bill from members of the Republican Party. Yeah, this is a, a very important bill for New York and for the country. And for far too long, there have been you know, both Republicans and Democrats and local and national leaders who have neglected to invest the funds necessary to modernize and keep up maintenance for our infrastructure. And this particular bill that was passed is a bipartisan bill that was drafted in the Senate. And it was uh, sent over in the summer to the House, but it was never voted on. And now we can get into the reasons why. Uh, but the bottom line is, is that uh, this past week we were able to fight and get this bill to the floor as a standalone vote. Uh, and it's important for people to know what's in this bill. There's a lot of misinformation out there. Um, this bill, which I've read, is is cover-to-cover -cover infrastructure. Uh, it is uh, $350 billion that goes to our roads, bridges, and highways. That is a you know highway uh, fund. That is something that is, you know, you know just re replenished, um, and it's, it's, it's an existing fund that's replenished, and that's part of a, a regular um, schedule of funding for um, preserving those things. And then, in addition to that, there was $550 billion in new money that is going to go toward other infrastructure like our ports, our airports, ferry and transit systems. Um, things like our coastal resiliency, which we saw after Hurricane Sandy, particularly in my district, that was devastated by Sandy, the need for that coastal resiliency, such as the East Shore Seawall on Staten Island, uh, making sure we um, improve other flooding things, areas such as, for example, we can use these funds for the Belt Parkway in Brooklyn, which sees flooding constantly, um, and uh, sewer infrastructure, which is something that we saw immediately after Ida, um, communities across the city because our sewers are not up to capacity. So there's a lot in this bill 
to support New York. And out of 50 states, New York is going to receive more than 10% of the funding. So it was a very important vote for the people of New York, uh, for those that I represent. And that's why I cast my vote uh, for this bill. Now, Rabbi, I have to just take a moment to commend our guest today for expressing that she read the bill. Yeah. Too often, yeah. they don't read the bill. I mean, like those and old book reports it. in high school I, I, where you didn't I, read I, the book? Yeah, exactly. Report, she yeah. read it to make sure, all right, on behalf of her constituency and her reputation for being a common-sense conservative and having a common-sense approach to things, she read it to make sure that the, the money that the bill represents is going to go to where the bill says it's going to go and not promote uh, other agendas. And I, I, I just commend you and thank you for reading it. <laughs> Something well, so simple. Unfortunately, there's a lot of uh, my colleagues and uh, you know, pundits in the media and other folks that haven't read the bill, and that's why they keep saying there's only 10% infrastructure, which, which is clearly not. Uh, and I think the other thing to point out is to differentiate between the two bills that have been talked about in Washington, because this is the bipartisan infrastructure bill, as I mentioned, came out of the Senate into the House, cover-to-cover infrastructure. Um, and the other bill is the what's called the Build Back Better. That's the social spending bill. Um, mm. That is the bill that has a lot of the controversial items that I and many on my side of the aisle are opposed to. Uh, things like doubling the number of IRS agents re- required that you know reporting from your bank account be be you know sort of like a big brother uh, looking into your bank account um, transactions. Um, some of the other stuff like amnesty and uh, giving illegal immigrants uh, benefits such as free college tuition, uh, some of the tax inc- actually all the tax increases, including on natural gas, all of that is in that Build Back Better bill. And unfortunately, many people have it confused because the way Albany has, Washington has presented it, it just, it, it, they seem like the two are conflated. And so um, it's important to note that uh, when that when the first bill, the real infrastructure bill, had come out of the Senate, unfortunately it's hijacked by those who were in the Progressive Caucus, uh, the Socialist Squad. They had hijacked that bill and wouldn't allow for it to come for a vote because they wanted to tie it to the Build Back Better social spending bill. So it created a, a, a real a fight there within the Democratic Party. And the moderates had been calling for you know, the bill to be a standalone vote, the infrastructure bill, which I agree. We should have these bills be debated and um, on their own merit and voted independently. They shouldn't be tied to other measures. Uh, and unfortunately, they had tried to use that in bipartisan bill to kind of camouflage all of that social spending. So when the, the moderates really pushed hard for the infrastructure bill to be broken away and brought for a vote, you know, I supported that for it to be brought for a vote. And I, I think it was the right thing to do. Um, it was the right thing to do for transparency, um, but also just to to not, you know, kind of hijack that to extort those moderate members into supporting other things that they may not have wanted to. Now, I do believe that, that by the way, that the leverage that the Progressive Caucus has had to push some of that social stuff has diminished now. And I think we have a good opportunity to really knock down that Build Back Better bill that so many of us are opposed to. So. One of the things I want to understand is I've heard from politicians some time ago, you know, we're not so threatened by the progressive wing. There are only six or seven of them. And yet for six or seven, they seem to have a lot of influence. So are are, are people minimizing their influence or uh, are we exaggerating? What what really goes on here? 
with the supposed, you know, impact uh, of the progressive wing? Yeah, well, they've certainly grown in their uh, numbers. And um, I think I think what's happened here is that the Democratic Party um, didn't take them seriously. Uh, They only had a couple of seats uh, and they were considered like the radical left wing and uh, they figured that, you know, they weren't really going to grow. But um, in fact, they have grown. And now they are sort of taking over the party and driving the agenda. And so I think the Democratic Party has made a mistake in not pushing back. And, um, you know, the other the other thing that I fi- found is that you know, a lot of the more moderate members have moved more and more to the left because they're afraid of a primary. Mm. And so as they move more and more to the left, they're sort of embracing that progressivism, you know, and being a part of that progressive caucus. And they've grown in numbers in that way as well. Um, so I think it's uh, it's an interesting dynamic. Um, I, I, I think the Democratic Party has not made a mistake, has made a mistake in not pushing back a little more. And, you know, some people will say that we have that same issue on the Republican side. But at the end of the day, I think, um, you know, people just have to look at these bills individually and they have to vote their district. Like somebody like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez say that she voted against it because it would you know, hurt the progressive cause and that they would lose their leverage in the other bill. And I don't think that's a good reason, particularly as a New York City representative, to vote against a bill that would be bring, bring so much money into our community to upgrade our aging infrastructure. You know, subway signals that have been operating on pre-World War II equipment in some cases, expanding our ferry system. You know, New York City, we, we are New York Harbor, one of the most busy ports, but we don't utilize our waterways the way we can. And this could potentially help us add some fast ferry systems, uh, certainly make improvements to our highways maybe add some additional um, you know, tr- transit options, um, look at things like the outer bridge that needs to be replaced on Staten Island, um, and other, other things. The coastal resiliency is a big one, too, particularly because we are surrounded by water. And no, no legislation is perfect. I, I think that you have to decide what's going to be best for the common good. Is that correct? No, absolutely. Look, there's there's... Things that we certainly could have cut out of this bill that I would have preferred out. But at the end of the day, you know, the vote comes before you need to make a decision on what is best for your district. And in this case, it was overwhelmingly better for my district, this bill, than not good for my district. And so, you know, that's the art of legislating and negotiation and kind of, you know, you may not get every bill that the way you want it. Uh, and you, I don't think you ever do really get get any bill that you love 100 percent. There's always going to be something in there. But at the end of the day, that's that's the difference between just being a politician who's going to say no to everything and then being a legislator who's willing you know, to to look at things uh, and say, you know what, this is majority good for my district and I'm going to support it. So it means taking heat even from your own side because you got bashed from the former president. Uh, Trump and, 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 and others on your side, but, but you did what you felt and believed was right. Yeah, look, um, I, think, I think there is, you know, mixed feelings uh, about the bill. Uh, I will say that, you know, I had a, a very uh, productive conversation with President Trump uh, just this week, and he is still, you know, supportive of me, uh, and that's important to me. Um, but also, uh, I think that at the end of the day, um, you know, I think every every legislator has to just do what's in the best interest of their their districts and those that they represent. 
You know, um, of course, I'm a Republican. I vote mostly uh, with my party on a lot of things because we just have the same values. We share of our vision for the future of this country. We want to preserve this country as one that provides the American dream and opportunity. And, um, you know, I, I think it's just incredibly important that we don't move in the direction of socialism. But at the same time, uh, something like infrastructure, I mean, that's not partisan. I mean, it's just not. And the fact that we've come to a point in this country where, you know, people are, um, it's, it's become controversial, a, a infrastructure bill, which everyone supports. Everyone supports infrastructure. Uh, I think what's been most disheartening is, you know, the media, the, the way that they've um, not been honest about what this bill contains and doesn't contain. Mm. And also the confusion of this bill with the uh, Build Back Better social spending bill that I oppose. So I think that's been like the, the, the most difficult part of this, because with social media in particular, there's so much misinformation out there. You know, I don't know how you overcome that, Congresswoman. Uh, it seems no matter what the issue is, there's always a group out there who just put out factual misrepresentations, lies, exaggerations, anything but the truth, and they get away with it uh, because they can. Uh, and, I don't, you know, you, you fight back, you do the best you can, when you have people in the media misreporting, I mean, then you really have a higher hurdle to overcome. What do you do? It's so damn frustrating uh, because you're trying to do the right thing. And all of a sudden there are people who are, you know, misreporting uh, what you're doing, what you're saying. And now you have to try to, you know, deal with that rather than the merits of the bill. Yeah, well, I've been the the victim of fake news more than more than a couple of times, but I mean that's just the reality of <laughs> yeah. of what uh, of the the age that we're living in, particularly with social media. Um, and I think I think it's just incumbent upon every person to do their own research. You know, uh, you read the news, but you verify, right? I, I think it's a trust and verify approach, uh, and I think everyone has a responsibility. So to to hear people <laughs> criticize my vote and saying things that are in there that aren't in there when they didn't read the bill, and I did, it is, it is frustrating. But I think at the end of the day, um, if you're going to dish criticism, if you're going to say certain things, then you should, you know, find the page of the bill that says those things and then point it out uh, because these things that – half the things that I've been seeing on social media in terms of comments aren't even in the bill. You know, they're not even in the bill, and, and that's what I think is the most, you know, frustrating part of this. There's people – everyone has an opinion – uh, without verifying, and and I think uh, I don't know what we do to change it. Really, uh, I think it's it's difficult. You know, Everyone, I think, just has to be responsible for themselves. You know, Reverend, and so, there's so much information out there too that we don't know who to believe. And when we verify, we have to say, okay, is, are my verifications do do my verifications need to be verified? Uh, yeah. So that puts it in, in, in another round. But let me say this to you, uh, Congressman. I think it, it's so important that we understand the bigger picture. And America has a, a has had a dual economic uh, system for the longest time. Capitalism at work with social programs on the other side. And it's, a, it's, it's unfortunate that we try to put use fear to make it seem like one extreme is going to take over the country. Uh, is, is, is that warranted, those fears? Well, um, you know, I think, you know, as you said, uh, I think I think there is a difference between, you know, social programs and, and socialism. 
Um, and I think that some, you know, so, social programs are supposed to be there temporarily to help people during difficult times, um, you know, and, and, and those who are vulnerable. Um, and I think at the end of the day, um, there is a, a point where people want their tax dollars to be focused on the basic things that they expect from government. You know, hmm. they, they, hmm. they expect public safety, they expect national security, they expect infrastructure, they expect quality education for their children. Uh, an economy where they can thrive uh, and support themselves. And that's what people really want. But unfortunately, government has decided to take so much of the money and move it into all sorts of different areas where they really don't belong. And I don't think people really want, you know, cradle to grave government, you know, intrusion and control and uh, dependency either. I think what they really want is just government to provide those basic things that, you know, you expect as taxpayers um, and, 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 just get out of the way, quite frankly. Um, at least that's the Republican principles. And I think so. When you look at like defunding the police, for example, you know, national security, our border, not not securing the border, um, not investing in infrastructure. Uh, a lot of people have concerns about what's happening in our education system right now. Those basic things, government is actually screwing up. Okay, and then they're spending money in all sorts of other areas where they don't belong. I think that's the difference. I think you know Republicans believe that we need to get back to the basics of what government's purpose is. It's not government control of our lives or intrusion or mandates or regulations or taxation. It's more just, you know, providing a safe country where we can thrive, pursue the American dream. Everyone has opportunity. If you work hard, you can achieve anything you want in this country. And I'm, I'm proof of that in, in a way. You know, my parents were both immigrants. My mother they came here with nothing. I didn't even speak the language. They had no money. Um, but you know, in one generation, their daughter became a member of Congress. And I think that just shows the promise. And many of my other colleagues, too, children of immigrants, you know, uh, you know, some are immigrants themselves, you know, but they worked hard and they were able to become members of Congress or whatever else. You know, many you're, you're, you're successful. Uh, there's many other people who are listening or are successful in their own right because they've worked hard, not because anything was ever handed to them. Yeah. You know, I hear Is your frustration. Um, yeah, yeah. Go yeah. ahead, Rabbi. No, no, Sorry. I hear the frustration here. For so long, you know that infrastructure has been at the bottom of the totem pole. You know, we've heard politicians discuss it, but it never take a a very aggressive posture in dealing with it. Finally, you get a bill where you get most of what you need, and yet you vote for it, and there are others who are ready to rip you apart for it. You know, uh, (laughs) Reverend and I often say, sometimes in the world of, of religion, or at least in congregational politics. You're as good as your last sermon. People can, you know, they like you, like you, like you, say something they don't like, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you're an adversary. And I'm, I'm afraid that mentality has pervaded too many places, too many people, that, you know, uh, we support things you've done, but this here, how could you do this? And all of a sudden, you're seen in a different light. And that, to me, is so wrong. If I could say one thing to that, uh, and I'll quote uh, former Mayor Ed Koch, if you agree with me seven out of 12 times, you should vote for me. If you agree with me 12 out of 12, you should seek a psychiatrist. But these days, if, if, if they agree with me 11 out of 12 times, they still want to fire you. So, you know, I don't know what to say. I mean, it's one vote they don't like, and, you know, and, that, and that's their right, and that, that's, that's, the, that's the beauty of elections. Everyone has an but, opportunity to elect somebody new. If they, but, but I think it's, it's unreasonable to think that anyone is going to agree with you 100% of the time because we're all individuals, right? We're different mm-hmm. people, 
So it's impossible to say that your representative is going to agree with you 12 out of 12 times all the time. And, and, that, and I think that that's, that's the thing, you know. I want to circle back on something that you you pointed to, and that is uh, about the role of government in the life of, of, of its citizenry. And I think that is where we find the basic tension. One group saying this is what government should be doing. And the other group saying, no, government should be do- shouldn't be doing that much in, in, in the personal life of the individuals. We had a situation, Rabbi, I don't know if you were aware of it, where our new mayor-elect, um, Eric Adams has a sit down with BLM mm-hmm. uh, leaders and they get into a tension about, you know, what he's going to do with policing in our communities. And, you know, they issued a threat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then it came down to each pointing to the other as to what government should or should not be doing. And that seems to be the basic tension right there. Would you would you what, what, do you, what say you? Uh, uh, Congresswoman, about that. No, I, I, I think you're right. The, 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 there's no negotiation. It's my way or the highway. You know, it, it, I think that that's sort of the feeling these days. And, and I think, you know, it, it's just it's just unfortunate. I think Eric Adams, um, look, I, I, you know, I know Eric Adams and he's he's, he's somebody who and, I'm, and, and quite frankly, I'm, I'll be honest, I, I like a couple of things that he has said since being elected, that he's going to restore the plainclothes unit of the NYPD, which is the unit that takes all out of the guns and uh, gangs off our streets. Uh, he's going to not go forward with Mayor de Blasio's plan to cut gifted and talented schools. But, you know, somebody as both an African-American and a uh, former police officer, I think he's in, the, he's in the ideal position to try to bring you know, everybody together here and try to mm. unite the city. Um, and it's unfortunate if people don't want to budge, you know, and, uh, so I did read that story and I think it was disheartening, uh, that that was the response he received from those uh, leaders. Um, but look, it's, it's, he, he's, he's, it's, it's just like every other, uh, elected official. You're sort of in the middle between two, two groups and you're trying, you're trying hard, but if, if people don't want to try to work toward a solution, uh, it's going to, it's going to be very difficult for him. When I was in law school, I, we often taught, don't drop your briefcase and run when you're in the courtroom. Show some spine. Stand up for what you think is right. And for mayor-elect to be threatened to say, if you go ahead with this, going to be riots and bloodshed in the street. Crazy. That's not negotiation. Uh, that's not disagreement. Uh, that's confrontation with a threat of violence. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's unacceptable. And I'm yeah. glad he didn't back off. He said, I'm going ahead with it. And that's what you want. You want someone who stands up for principle and is not going to be intimidated because somebody makes a threat. Because if we're going to run government based on threats, you're not going to succeed um, as, as a leader that serves the people properly. So, yeah. Uh, I, I, and Rabbi, I understand the passion on the BLM side with regard to, you know, failures in our systems in terms of policing. Uh, you know, yeah, there, there, there are, there's a culture that's been institutionalized that has to be changed and it's being changed. But at what price, when we start talking about defunding the police, at what price to our communities and to our safety of our neighborhoods, are we using that kind of language and coming up with these ideas? That's the problem for me, you know. Well, we've seen what's happened when police have been 
move back. Crime is crime is not going down. It may not be what it was in the '70s, but it's not going down. And people in all different neighborhoods are are they're frightened by what they yeah. see. They're frightened when they don't see police. They're frightened when there isn't a response. Uh, so I think at the end of the day, people want to be safe. They want to know the police are there to protect them. There are some problems, you know, with some of the policing. Correct the problems, but don't remove the police. Yeah. And that affects That's the economy. Exactly it affects true. the quality of life, you know, for, for, for all of us. Yeah. And if tourists are going to come back in to New York City, they want to feel safe, you, you know. know? And, 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 you know, if I could interject, because I think this conversation has come full circle here, because we started the conversation by talking about the progressives who have tried to move everything to the left. And a lot of the policies that were put in place, like the bail reform in Albany, um, like the cutting uh, monies from the NYPD, mm-hmm. tying hands of the NYPD, uh, taking away the qualified immunity, these are ideas that had come from the, the left wing of the party, and they kind of pushed the moderates on it. And they got what they wanted. And now we are less safe as a result. We have seen crime uh, increase. We are seeing quality of life deteriorate. And our police officers are in very low spirits. And many are retiring. Highest, highest retire, I think it's about 77% increase in retirements. Uh, we're losing qualified, experienced police officers, particularly detectives who work towards solving crimes as well. Um, and, and it's a very unfortunate. And, and so I hope that we see some backtracking between the new mayor and the new governor, there'll be some backtracking here and that they'll work to correct a situation that was very avoidable. Why don't we take a vote of victim, victims of uh, gun violence, people live in NYCHA housing, people live in high crime right areas. Let's see what they want. And I, I am confident, more than confident, that they want to see police. They want an omnipresent police presence. Um, and I, I just think that it's, you know, we're, we're, delu- we're delusional if we think by defunding and, and cutting back that somehow crime is going to go down by itself. It hasn't. It won't. Uh, Rabbi, I'll tell you, on the ground, that's where I am with my parishioners, uh, with the community. They want safety. Mm-hmm. At the same time, they want their community to be treated with respect. Mm-hmm. They don't want to live in fear of police, but they don't want to live in fear of not having yeah, police. Those are not irreconcilable, right? Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So, Congressman, I'm listening to you, and I'm thinking to myself, public service is very challenging, becoming more difficult. How are we going to inspire people of talent, people with some great leadership qualities, to enter into that public arena when they see what's being done to very loyal public officials. They see the abuse, the verbal abuse. Uh, How are we going to get new people to come in at some point? Well, I I truly believe that, you know, public service is something within, you know, that you were born to, to do this, you know, that this is something that uh, just is your, is your destiny. It's your, it's, you're meant to be here at this moment in time to serve, uh, and I think it's really got to be something that comes from you, not so much the surrounding uh, community it, 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 in terms of wanting to serve, right? Mm-hmm. So um, you have to have that passion. You have to have that energy. You have to have that dedication. You have to truly want to do the job or else you're not going to do a good job because it is a very demanding uh, role. It's it's 24-7 and you're engaged in all sorts of different issues and you have to really be up to the task. And I think um, so that in itself you know, is, is I think the number one thing. Yeah. Number two, uh, certainly by respecting 
um, you know, those who, who serve and are willing to, and even if you don't agree with them, just appreciate that they're willing to step up to the plate and do it. Like Teddy Roosevelt said, uh, you know, it's not the critic that counts. It's those who actually step mm-hmm. into the arena mm-hmm. and are willing mm-hmm. to take all the hits and the punches and still keep going and, and fight for the community and the country. Um, but I think that uh, I always try to encourage young people, you know, just to be involved. You know, if you, if you, if you want to be in politics, I think the first step, and it's how I started, is you know, go volunteer for a campaign. You know, volunteer for somebody you like. You know, if you if you think you may want to run for office, or even if you don't want to run for office, even if you just want to see some change, uh, and that could be anybody of any age. You know, people people want to. We have we need people to participate. They got to be part of you know the solution. They have to get involved. They need to know how their legislators are voting. They need to get involved with what they believe in. You know, and and um, that's always my advice for people that want to get involved, you know, is to is to look to um, volunteer first, see if you like it, stay involved and, and participate in elections. You know, there's different ways to to do that. Uh, and and I, I think civic engagement is important. I think it's something that we do need to, uh, you know, educate young people about their their role and responsibility as a citizen. And I think whenever you want to make a difference, you're always going to have critics. And critics are not contributors. They're not builders. They're people who find it very easy to find fault with others, but they don't go any further than that in terms of trying to solve the problem. So if you really have a passion for solving problems, if you're committed to certain principles, go for it. Because anything, right, comes with challenges, sometimes yeah. more, sometimes less. But there are, nobody goes through this life without, you know, facing challenges. And Rabbi, you know that you can't be on the Rev and the Rabbi without talking about the role of faith. And uh, our representative is a person of faith. Has that ever presented, as we come to the close of our program, has that ever presented a conflict for you, uh, the tenets of your faith with, uh, you know, governing and doing what you do and representing the people? Uh, no, you know what? Uh, it, it, I was I was thinking about this earlier today, you know, and in, you know, in the chamber of the the house of representatives it says in god we trust and uh it also says in a lot of the courtrooms and so you know i think we need to trust god that we have that faith that you know we're doing the right thing that you know we're making the right decisions for our communities and i think um in many ways you know god trusts us to make Mm. those decisions to be here in this moment and 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 be firm in our beliefs and have convictions and principles and uh, and I always look to, you know, my faith and I always look to God for that strength to, you know, just keep me, give me the tools, give me the resources to do my job to the best of my ability. And I will continue to serve. And, um, you know, that's, that's sort of, uh, the way I've gone into it. And it's given me a lot of, uh, clarity. It's, it's, it's given me a lot of, uh, I guess, relief from some of the frustrations and stress of the, of the position. But, um, I always look at it from that, from that perspective. And I think, as long as you always feel that you're doing something uh, that you think is the right thing. Because as you said earlier, no matter how you vote on something, if it's a controversial issue in particular, you're going to get called from one side or the other. It doesn't matter. You know, if you vote yes, they're going to complain. If you vote no, there'll be others that will complain. And so um, that's why my, my, my sort of compass has been I go into the chamber, I vote the way I think is the best for my district, and I feel good about that. Well. And also Rabbi, commend, commend your parents because they, <laughs> they raised someone they raised someone who is a, a person of conviction. Uh, you know, I've known you over the years, and you don't do anything half-heartedly. 
Uh, you're a person who has passion, principle, uh, and agree or disagree. Uh, when you vote, you vote because you think it's the right thing for you in terms of your conscience and also the right thing for your district. And, uh, and that's moral courage, Rabbi. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, Rabbi, I, ho- I hope you caught that sermon that she gave to two clergy. She, she said, in, in God we trust, but can God trust us? I'm going to preach that one Sunday. You know that. Yeah, he won't give you credit for it, by the I'm way, going Nicole. I'm going to give her credit. Of course I am. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, invite me, invite me that day. Yeah. Invite me that day. Yeah. We're going to schedule it and let you know. Okay. All right. <laughs> Representative Nicole Meliotakis, 11th Congressional District. Thanks so much. I uh, hope you enjoyed your birthday this past week, and we enjoyed having you on today. Absolutely. Well, thank God you so bless. Much. Great to be with you always. Be well. And we'll be back with more right here on 77 WABC, The Rev. And The Rabbi. And the rabbi.